0: talk to you a little bit today on sacred restoration. How important it is for the health of your re- relationships, for the health of your future, for the health of your family, for the health of your marriage, that you actually find healing in those, in those areas where you have carried hurt for many years, maybe even since your childhood. How important it is for us to be aware of our sensitivities and our, and our prejudices and, and, and our insecurities. And to start trusting Jesus in those areas so that we don't continue to be hurt people hurting people, but that we can walk in a healthier way with those around us. So I want to talk to you this morning about sacred restoration. And and the first scripture I want to go to is in Psalm 23. It's a very famous psalm. You've probably heard it quoted many times. But in Psalm 23, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures, this idea of leading you into peace. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. That's what God does. He restores our soul. What is your soul? It's your mind. It's your will. It's your emotions. It's your emotional being. It's your, it's your psychological makeup. It's, it, it's your, your, your personality, the person that you are. And what God desires to do is restore that. He wants to bring restoration to your life. It's in His heart. In 1 Peter 5, verse 10, it says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Himself, He will restore, strengthen, and establish you. It is in the heart of God to restore your life. God's heart is one of, restoration. It's one of redemption. It's one of renewal. And when God is involved in your life, we can expect, as long as we are opening ourselves up and allowing Him to do the work that He longs to do in our lives, we can, we can expect for health and healing to come. We can expect for things to get better as we engage with Him and as He does His work and His, his gracious, glorious work in us. It's who He is. One of the names of God in the Old Testament we know that He's Jehovah, but, but oftentimes when God commanded Israel to build an altar, He, he gave one of His names uh, to them, and, and this gave us insight into the character of God. And one of God's names is Jehovah Shalom. The word Shalom we know means peace, but in the, in the Hebrew it means more than just peace. It means nothing missing and nothing broken. That's God's name. What he wants to do in your life is that he wants to do such a great process and miraculous work that at the end of the day, you will be complete and lacking nothing, as it says in the New Testament. He wants to do a complete work of restoration and give you true peace, which means that you'll have nothing missing and nothing broken. A sacred restoration. Jeremiah 30 verse 17, God says, For I will restore health to you. I will restore health to you and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. Again, that's his heart. And out of that, I want to I tell you today that God cares about your wounds. God cares about your wounds, whether they're fresh or whether you've been walking around with the scars and the effects of them for many years. He cares about your hurt. He cares about your wounds. He cares about what, what has happened in your life. And he desires to bring wholeness to your life. It is something that all of us can genuinely experience, no matter what you've been through as God works His sacred restoration in our lives. It's available to you. I'm going to pray for us real quick this morning, um, and, uh, and then we're going to just talk about sacred restoration and, and, and look at what God can do in our lives. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we, we thank You so much for Your goodness and Your grace, Lord. We thank You that Your heart is one of restoration. And I just want to pray for every person here today, Lord God, that has experienced hurt, that is, uh, has walked around with certain insecurities or certain fears or certain pains, Lord, that might still even be angry about something that happened years ago. We just thank you today, God, that in you we can experience restoration. It's a journey and it's a process. But we thank you, Lord, that, that as you work with us, your grace is involved, that you take us from glory to glory to glory until we are complete, until we are lacking nothing, until we experience the peace of God. So we thank you, God, this morning for the Word, that it encourages, that it strengthens, that it establishes, that it builds up, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. So um, as many of you are aware, if you're visiting with us, you might not be aware, but um, two or three months ago, um, I was playing touch rugby on a Monday night. I play uh, in a league team, and uh, and I, I at one point was defending, I ran kind of to the right and I could see that the guy I was defending was going to make a big step. And I was like, I'm all over him. I even told him, I'm all over you. And, um, and, and he made the step. And as I stepped with him, um, I felt something in my knee twist. I felt my knee twist and pop, which is never nice words to describe what you're feeling in your knee. Uh, but I felt a twist and a pop. And then I heard a snapping sound. And uh, I hit the deck, you know, all of a sudden I I was, I was hugging the ground. I was in an instant engaged in an instant prayer meeting. As I fell down on the ground, it was like I was struck by the glory of the Lord. And I just cried out to help to Jesus. Um, So much so that the guys around me didn't know whether they needed to bring me water or or join the prayer, you know, and like lay on of hands or whatever. But I was down on the ground, and I immediately knew that what I had done to my knee in that moment was serious and that I wouldn't be able to put any weight on it. And so my teammates gathered around, they stopped the game, um, they carried me, me off the field and kind of pretended to care for a little while and then asked me if it was okay if they carried on playing because we were in the lead and when they wanted to finish the game. And, um, and so the next day I saw the orthopedic surgeon and had gone for an MRI and all the rest and he confirmed that I had torn Um, the ACL ligament um, in my right knee, as well as a bunch of other damage that I had done, and that I would need surgery. And so, um, you know, he he explained to me that after the surgery is when the real work begins, I would be looking at nine to 12 months of rehabilitation on that knee to strengthen it and get it working properly again before I can do any kind of pivoting sport. Um, And in that process, as, as, as I sat down there and And he told me, Look, you're gonna need surgery, and this is the process, and this is what it's gonna look like, and this is how it's gonna feel. Um, There was no doubt in my mind in that moment that that's what I needed to do. In fact, right there, I booked the surgery for that next Tuesday, the first time they had available um, in the operating uh, room that I wanted to go in, I wanted to get this done, and I knew that the sooner I start the process, the better. And so I booked it, I went for the operation. And let me tell you, it was so painful when I woke up. I woke up, and I was expecting it to not hurt that much, but I woke up, and I was in all kinds of hurt. Um, I was wheeled into the room, and um, our, our, our elders and, and a strategic team, you know, guys that are on the journey with us and friends, and, you know, they, they were in the room, and uh, they wheeled me in, and, and I saw them, and I, and I tried to be friendly, but I'm telling you, I was in so much pain, they actually gave me a little morphine pump. Anybody ever seen those? It's a really bad idea to give somebody who was in as much pain as me that amount of morphine, because I was just squeezing that thing. Um, and, um, and, and the strat team, you know, they obviously care about me very much because I just wanted to fall asleep because of the pain. And eventually I did. And I only to find out later that what they did in the room while I was asleep and in pain is take selfies with me while I'm asleep um, and talk about Vikings, uh, the series. So um, they're obviously very concerned. But, um, but I was lying there and in so much pain. And I remember waking up the next morning and and feeling like I couldn't even twitch my toes. I I just wanted to isolate that leg. There was such intense pain in that moment that I didn't even want to risk moving it one little bit. And uh, 10 days later, after the surgery, I started rehab with my physio, and I've been doing that physio now twice a week for the past three months, and let me tell you that if you've ever been through a process like that, it is painful. Um, restoring the range of motion and strengthening the muscles, it's grueling, it's expensive, and it's not fun. And, um, and, and, then, and then you ask the question, then why do you do it? Why do you go for the rehab? Why did you go for the operation? Why didn't you just kind of try and live with, the, with that broken ligament and that torn ligament? And some people do. that, like, I'll just, I, I, I don't want to go f- through the process, so I'll just walk around with this torn ligament. And the answer is, the reason why I went for the operation, the reason why I go to the physio every week is because I want to run again. It's because I want to walk without a limp again. It's because I want to be able to kick the ball in the yard with my boys again and, 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 and join the touch rugby team again, get back onto it and get back onto the, the golf course with my friends and play a round of golf. So I do it because I want to be restored. No matter how painful the process, no matter how difficult the, the, you know, the rehabilitation or the program, I, I want to do it because I want to get better. I want to be restored. And what amazes me is that in relationships, So many people have settled for the limp. So many people have said, you know what, I've I've got hurt, and and, and there's some stuff that happened in my childhood, and there's some stuff that happened uh, in my family, and there's some stuff I've gone through as an adult, and there's some relationships that have been broken down, and I know that it's affecting me. I know that I'm imbalanced. I know I'm not able to walk properly in relationships, but I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to, I don't want to feel the pain. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to be honest in this area of my life. I'm okay with limping. Everybody just leave me alone. And so we settle for something that's less than God's best because we're not willing to, 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 to face what it takes to get the res- restoration that we need. We've decided that we're okay with never running again or being a part of a team again or enjoying our lives to the full again because we don't want to be honest about our hurt and we don't necessarily, we're not necessarily willing to trust God with the deepest parts of us. Just imagine, though, for a moment, if your emotional scars or your emotional uh, injuries, showed on the outside? If the scars that you have in your heart and in your mind through the brokenness that you've experienced actually showed on the outside of your body? How many of us would be running off to the surgeon immediately if we had these scars all over us? We'd wanna hide it, we'd wanna put it away, but the reason why we don't is because we know that we can be very good at pretending that if we work really hard, if we figure out the right things to say, if we figure out the right things to do, if we figure out how to respond in different situations, then we might be able to go through our whole lives without people recognizing that there really is something wrong, that there really is some pain, that there really has been a situation. And so instead of finding, uh, you know, help in our time of need and going to God, we just become better actors and better at pretending We'd rather pretend like everything is okay than go through the process of healing. And so I feel like for me, this is an area um, that just because of my journey that I've really had to be honest about. This is a, a part of my journey that, you know, I couldn't avoid even if I wanted to. I needed to face and I needed to, to learn and I needed to grow and I needed to depend on God and I had to do it in an authentic way. Otherwise, I wouldn't have found the healing that, that God has brought to my life. Just like you, I've been through heartache. I've been through relational breakdown. I've been through disappointment in church life, and in family life, and in friendships, and in every sphere. Plus, I also taught leadenigament, so I know all about pain. And so I thought today what I would do is, in the time that we have left, is share some of my mistakes with you, and some of the things that I believe God has taught me through it all. I don't have all day, which means that I couldn't share all my mistakes with you and everything that I've learned, but I thought I would just share a few. Some of the mistakes that I've made in in relationships that you might have made as well, and some of the ways that God has helped me. The first one is looking for affirmation. The first mistake I've made in relationships is that I have looked to others and to other people to validate me and to affirm me, whether that's as a person, whether that is as a friend, whether that is uh, as a pastor, you know, you, you, can, you can begin to live for the praises of people around you. They say if you live by their praises, you'll die by their criticism. When somebody speaks a, an unkind word or a criticism or they don't have your context and they speak into your life, it, it can feel like death. It can feel like your heart's being ripped open and, and, it, and it can introduce pain and disappointment into your life. And I've been there because too many times I've looked for affirmation from others. And, and I think that's just a part of all of our journeys. But, but I know that for me, even as, as, as a young boy, I always wanted to uh, let my teachers be impressed and impress the people around me and, and, and present well. And, 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 you know, and, and I wanted that affirmation. When I played a rugby game, I wouldn't think about how many tackles I made or how, how many great runs I made. or how, I would think about how many people would say, well done after the game. And that's a problem for us. That's a problem for all of us when we are looking to others for affirmation. We all do this, but I realized that after some time that for the longest time, I actually craved affirmation from others, especially from leaders and from elders and from those in authority over me. I always wanted to impress and was often concerned with how I came across, and what happens is is that we end up finding our identity in what people say about us. We end up finding our identity in being able to impress people, and it shapes our pursuits. We do things to win the applause and the accolades of people. We'll go against our own values in order to fit in and in order to to have people uh, uh, praise us or say something nice about us. And the worst is, is that the, the people that we go to for affirmation are often people that don't even care about us or our journey. We're often trying our best to impress people that honestly don't even care and probably wouldn't even be impressed even if you did everything to impress them. They don't necessarily have a heart for you. And while we do that, trying to impress people that don't care about us, we often neglect our true friends, the people that accept us no matter what and love us no matter what. We overlook them trying to impress others. We, we waste our energy on trying to, to impress others. And what I realized is that no amount of applause, no amount of affirmation or validation, if that's going to be my heart to seek affirmation from others, no amount of it will ever satisfy me. It'll never be enough. No matter what I achieve, I'll always be on on a journey to achieve the next thing. Sometimes even the idea of proving them all wrong is an unhealthy one. When people have counted you down and counted you out, I know that it can be fuel, and I know that you can use it as motivation to achieve things, but if you're doing what you're doing, not driven by a sense of calling from God and instead trying to prove others wrong, that's not gonna motivate you long enough. It's not gonna carry you through the difficult seasons. You're working for the wrong prize. You're running for the wrong reward. So no amount of applause, affirmation, or validation will ever be enough. This is what I learned. Instead of seeking affirmation from others, Draw closer to Jesus. Draw closer to Jesus. 1 John 4 verse 16 says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. My question this morning, have you come to know and to believe the love that God has for you? Because the more you know His love, the more secure you will be. The more confident you will be. Not in an arrogant way, not based on your own abilities, not based on what you've achieved. You may have achieved nothing. But still, there's a confidence and there's a, there's a quiet security and strength that you have that comes from knowing that you are loved. I would say that the first and most important thing, if you want to improve in every single relationship that you have, is to recognize and to believe in and to trust in the love that God has for you. Because when you know that you are loved, it enables you to love others even when they are not lovely. It enables you to love others even when they mistreat you. That's why Jesus comes and he says that you are to pray for your enemies. You are to bless them. You are to speak kindly of them. You are to to bless those who mistreat you. And you're thinking that it's, it's impossible. We hardly treat the people that treat us well well. We struggle to be kind to the people that are good to us, never mind the people that are nasty to us. But the reason why we can is because we depend on a source of love that is other than what we receive from people. It is a supernatural love that we have from God. And so the more we draw closer to Jesus, the more we recognize that He has already paid a price for you, the more you recognize what you are worth in His eyes, that you are worth that price that Jesus paid, no matter what you achieve or what people think or say about you, that His opinion is the only one that matters, that you are loved and forgiven and significant in Christ the more you are free to simply love people from the core of who you are. So draw closer to Jesus. The first mistake I made is looking for affirmation from others, and what I've learned is that we need to draw closer to Jesus. The second one is casting my pearls. Casting my pearls. Now, this comes from Matthew 7. You you probably are aware of this verse or heard it in some context or another, but Matthew 7, verse 6, Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is sacred, And do not cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus used this analogy in Scripture, and it's used by Peter as well, and in other parts of the New Testament, where they they talk about dogs and swine, or dogs and pigs, uh, um, as, as those who ridicule, and those who judge, and those who reject. If you've ever had somebody ridicule, or reject, or slander you, you'll know that there is a great temptation for all of us to set the record straight. How many of you have ever gotten angry with somebody said, and then you made the best speech you've ever regretted? You went out there and you set the record straight and you walked away and you somehow felt like that actually made things worse. Even though I told everybody exactly what happened and I justified myself in their eyes, you feel like you actually harmed your case rather than improving it. And there's a temptation when when people ridicule us and when they speak badly about us and when they reject us, there's a temptation for us to go there and put them in their place. And we do this thinking that we'll win them over or be able to justify ourselves in their eyes. And so what we do is we share intimate details of our lives and of our journey with them as if they would care, as if they would respect the deep things and and, and, and the journey that we've been through with them, we, we try and make them second guess or think twice about their misjudgments, but the mistake that we make is that we assume that they would actually care about the truth or about us. Many times I've done this where people have got the wrong end of the stick, and, and I've tried to share with them the truth of the matter, and so I go before them, and I bear my soul, and I tell them about my hurt, and I, and I make myself vulnerable in that process, only for them to take what I've shared and trample all over it and turn around and attack, attack me even more. Find something that I've said in my process of justifying myself and use it against me in the next sentence. That's a mistake I've made. Try to convince, if I can just, if I can just go there, and if I can just tell them, and if I can just share my heart, then they'll, they'll feel bad about, about what they've said. This is what I've learned through the process. Stop trying to fix people's opinions of you. Stop trying to fix people's opinions of you. The gospel means that we are justified. The scriptures say that we have been justified in Jesus. We've been justified in Christ, which means we have no other justification necessary. No, we don't need to explain ourselves to people. We don't need to fix every opinion. There are some people that are just not gonna like you. There are some people that are just not gonna believe you. There are some people that are going to misjudge you and misrepresent you to others. Don't try and fix their opinions. Know what God has said about you. Know that you are already justified. As a pastor, I can tell you that this is somewhat amplified for us because people think that because you're a pastor, because you lead a church, because you're in a public position, that they have the right to criticize everything from your children's behavior to your your relationships to the way that you dress. And you can never win with some people. It doesn't matter what you put on, it's not the right thing for a pastor to wear. No matter what happens in your relationship, they feel that they have the right to speak into your life. And so, as a result, and again, I'm just being honest with my journey, you can feel the pressure to try and present well all of the time. Like I've got it together all of the time. Like my life is just perfect all of the time. And we can feel that way. But it never works. And so my response has become, rather than trying to do that, is instead to, unless it's somebody that genuinely cares about me and that genuinely is on the journey with me, is to, at this point, simply not to respond. So if that's the opinion that you want to hold, then you can hold that. That's okay. Phil Smithurst, um, who's involved with our church and part of our leadership and a leader that we uh, look up to very much, he um, said this to me one time. He said, don't ever feel like you need to explain yourself to people who have not paid a price for you. You know, there are some people that have paid a price for me. They've walked on the journey with me. They've been there for my family. They've, they've given of their time, and they've given of their love, and they've given of their energy and their virtue to support me and to walk with me and to encourage me. And to those people, if they had a question about my life, because I know that they care, I am more than willing to, to bear my soul. But when people come from the outside, you know, I've had people add me on Facebook just so that they can send me a critical message. Literally like, oh, this guy wants to be friends. Oh, no, 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 he doesn't, you know? No, he actually just wants to climb into me. He's not even my Facebook friend, never mind a real friend. But he feels that he has the right to criticize my personal life. And, and, and I'm just using my life as an example. I know that the same has probably happened for you. So, in the past, I would want to, I would want to respond to, And what I realized is that the journey that I've been on has been an expensive one. That's why the the Bible says, don't take your pills. A pill is something expensive. And these people that criticize, the reason why people criticize is simply because they more often than not do not have context. They don't understand the journey that you've been on. And so I wrote this guy a response to his criticism, a long message and I try to explain to him that you know, he doesn't know the, the tears that I've cried, and he doesn't know the pain that I've felt, and he doesn't know, you know the battles that i fought, and he doesn't know the walk that I've had, and, and there I am justifying myself, and all of a sudden I realize I'm casting my pills before swine. He's not going to care about anything I've said there. And I realize that what I'm doing is I'm taking a very expensive journey, something that will take more than just a paragraph on Facebook to explain. And I've tried to condense it into one paragraph and use it as a justification, and I thought it is dishonoring to my journey. It is dishonoring for me to take what I've been through and then try and condense it into a a one-paragraph justification. And so instead, I deleted it and ignored it. I just ignored it. Because I don't need a justification. Jesus is my justification. And he can have his opinion. I'm not gonna fix it. So your journey is expensive, and sometimes people will come and criticize you, and criticize your decisions, and criticize things that you've done, but I want you to understand that even though we want to be open and vulnerable with people that are on the journey with us, people that, are, that, that love us and care about us, we should be careful about using our stories to justify ourselves, and instead trust that God will send the right people to walk alongside us who will know, who will truly know what has happened. So that's number two, is casting my pills. Number three, which is a very real one for all of us, is holding on to hurt. A mistake I've made in relationships is holding on to hurt. And this is a tough one. After I woke up in the hospital that next morning after my operation, I, hadn't, I realized I hadn't even twitched my toe for the entire duration of the evening because I was in so much pain, I couldn't imagine how much it would hurt to actually try and move something. So I didn't even test it. You know, when you're like, I wonder if I can do this. I didn't even try that, I was in so much pain. I was like, I am not moving this leg. And, and I was in so much pain that, that I thought to myself, I'm just gonna lie here, and maybe one day, maybe a couple of years from now, maybe in the future, I'll turn onto the other side, or I'll you know, roll over in this bed. But for now, uh, you know, that's a big maybe. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not gonna do that right now. And I couldn't fathom being able to put weight onto that leg again. My instinct and our instinct when we experience pain is to isolate, is to isolate, to avoid. And it's actually a a high, there's there's an interesting stat and and fact about those that have the kind of surgery that I've had, is that within a, a certain amount of time, within a couple of months, many people injure the other leg, often in the similar way even though there's nothing wrong with that ligament, what happens is that you compensate so heavily, heavily on the other side that you put too much strain on that side and you end up breaking something else. You end up breaking something else that was, that was healthy because you're trying so hard to isolate the part that is in pain. And we do that in relationships. We do that in relationships where we get hurt. We want to isolate that part of us and pretend like it never even happened. Pretend like Like, I didn't experience pain in this area. No, there's nothing. We just completely avoid it and pretend like it doesn't even exist, like the surgery never even happened. And all we'll do is that we'll take that part of our lives that we've now shut down and we'll shift the weight to the other side. We'll shift the weight onto something else. We'll carry that. We'll make up for it somewhere else. Have you ever met people that just, when you talk to them and when you're trying to relate to them just as a normal person, they just kind of seem a little bit imbalanced in their responses. Like, they just don't respond normally. Sometimes we are those people. I remember going up to, um, uh, to somebody who I found out that th- their mom was ill and, and in hospital, and I went up to them and I said, um, hey, I'm so sorry to, to hear about your mom. So sorry to hear about, you know, the fact that they're sick. And they literally just stared at me, blinking couldn't even talk about the fact that their mom was sick because the emotions were so big or, or, or you know, the, the fear that they felt was so overwhelming that they couldn't even relate in a normal way anymore. And I just stood there going, well, we're praying. You know, like, I don't you know what else to say. They just stopped talking the moment I spoke about something. And, and you can sometimes, when you relate with people, you realize that there's this imbalance, and that's normally what it is. It's, it's simply an unresolved hurt, they're not relying on the full spectrum of their ability or their, their mental and emotional capacity because they are, they've isolated and cut off certain parts about themselves. And this limits their ability to take any additional emotional weight on board. Even processing normal, everyday disappointment in a healthy way becomes impossible. And, and this is true of all of us. Have you ever had like a really rough day? Let me, let me be a little bit more honest with you. This past week, I had one day where I was just, from morning to night, I was up early um, and I was working the whole day and I got home and I was finished. And then I was trying to feed my boys and uh, Leo all of a sudden says he doesn't like tomato sauce, which is impossible because he absolutely loves tomato sauce. But now he doesn't like it. I'm like, you will eat that tomato sauce. I don't care what you say. This tomato sauce is going in your mouth. And then... And then he, then he told me that, and that we, I made them some bourrevos that evening, and, and, uh, and he told me the pieces were too big. I'm like, open your mouth. Open your mouth, it's going in right now. <laughs> Five seconds later, he's choking. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll cut the bourrevos, you know. I realized that that piece was like literally his whole mouth. He couldn't bite, he couldn't swallow. But when we're hurt, what we do is we shift the weight, and then we overreact. And we project that hurt onto other relationships and to other situations. We get overwhelmed emotionally. In Christian circles, this is how we avoid pain. If we could just get real as Christians this morning. In Christian circles, we say stuff like, God has dealt with my past, so I don't need to dwell on my hurts. I don't need to dwell on my my hurts or on the past. I just look forward to the future. But what if the pain of your past is actually affecting your future? What if the things that you experienced yesterday are actually affecting your tomorrow? Your plan for the future therefore might actually include first looking to the past and finding healing so that you can move forward. So here's one of the most valuable things I've learned in holding on to hurt is don't avoid the pain. Don't avoid the pain. Avoiding the pain prolongs the process. Avoiding the pain prolongs the process. You need to feel it so that you can get better. You need to talk about it. You need to think about it. You need to feel it. You need to be vulnerable about it and honest about it so that it can become a reality. So that it can actually be real. Have you ever asked people that have gone through a traumatic experience, how do you feel? And the first thing they say is it doesn't feel real it's disbelief, it's denial, like it just doesn't feel real. And I have actually said this to to a counselor that was helping me. I said, it just doesn't feel real. He told me to go down and write my emotions down on a piece of paper. And I'm telling you, writing them down made me feel like something was stuck in my throat right here, like I couldn't. It was just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it. And I realized how quick we as people, when we experience hurt, we suppress those things. In fact, you know that your brain secretes a chemical so powerful when you are trying to suppress hurts so that you can function normally. It's like a survival instinct. Your brain secretes a, um, a chemical so powerful in order to suppress those hurtful memories that it can actually physically scar your brain and, av- and affect the ability of your brain to function properly in those areas. And what we need to do is we need to face that pain, feel that pain, so that your brain can actually create new neural pathways so that in that area you can find growth and grow properly. And I, I wrote down that stuff on that page. It felt horrible. I, it was a poor effort. I went to see him again. I said, I, I did the exercise. Here it is. It was a folded paper. I put it on the table. He said, before I open that, how do you feel? I'm like, it still doesn't feel real. He says, take that back. You're not allowing yourself to feel it. You're not allowing yourself to process it. And he actually gave me an exercise that I did every day for about six months where he said, I want you to think about the point where the the, the most painful memory or image that you can think about, and I want you to think about it. And he was a Christian guy, spirit-filled, and he said, I want you to see it before you. I want you to see it happen, and I want you to keep breathing, and I want you to start praying and feel the pain get less. And over a period of about six months, seeing that painful image or that hurtful thought and actually bringing it up in my memory rather than avoiding it and and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to be present with me in that pain, eventually I could think about it without feeling the pain. I was able to remove the pain from the memory through process, through going through the process. So only when you talk about it, only when you access it, only when you, when you allow yourself to think about it and feel it will it become a reality, and then you will be able to process it, and only through that process will you begin to see the healing. And this is why people say that going through healing or working on relationships or working on what's on the inside is difficult. It's painful. It's a lot harder than rehabilitating a knee. I can promise you that. It takes guts. It takes grace. It takes faith. When I was lying in the hospital that next morning, the physio arrived. And I thought, she's just actually going to make sure that the doctor hadn't completely messed up my knee. And then she said the most terrifying words I'd heard in a very long time. She said, okay, get your crutches, we're gonna go for a walk. I thought, you gotta be kidding me, I haven't even moved a toe for 24 hours. I am not gonna get up and walk, you gotta be mad, I'll die, I literally, thought I was like, so dramatic, like, I'll die. I said, no, you've got to start moving. It will be painful, but you've got to start moving. The sooner you put weight on it again, the sooner you start to, to, put, uh, to strengthen that area again, the sooner you get better. So I took my crutches, I made it to the door, and I felt like I was going to throw up, so I went back to the bed. She was like, it's okay, I'll come back an hour later, and she did, and I made it further. Later that day, I actually went up some stairs with my crutches. And I'm grateful for people that would take us further than what we feel that we can go. And every single week, I've seen my body adapt and my motion improve. So here's what I'm saying. If you don't want to walk with a limp emotionally for the rest of your life, talk about the pain. Talk to God. Talk to a friend. Talk to a leader. Talk to a a, a Christian psychologist or a counselor and find the healing that you need. Psalm 147 verse 3 says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. We can go to God with our pain. We can be honest with people. Number four, the fourth mistake, which is related to that one, is not allowing others to be a part of the process. Mistake I've made in relationships and in my process is not allowing others to be a part of the process. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 to 10 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. This is why church is so important. This is why connect groups are so important. This is why friendship, genuine, authentic relationships are so important, because who's gonna lift you when you fall? We all fall. We need each other. We need people around us. My physio has this weird thing that he does where he gets me to walk around in the, in the halls of the, of the practice there, and he walks behind me really closely, And I have this tendency to kind of limp and lean onto the one side as I'm putting more weight still, even, you know, it's just so difficult, I have to really concentrate to put equal weight on both my legs. But as I'm walking, he walks behind me, and every time I lean over to the left, he grabs me and pushes me back over to the right. He actually walks following me like a stalker, and leaning me to the right side whenever I get a little bit imbalanced. And we need people like that in our lives. We need people that will follow us on our journey closely, close enough to see a lean, close enough to see a compensation, close enough to see an imbalance, and to, in love, bring us back into balance, bring us back into a correct posture, help us walk up, up straight, upright, when we're tempted to slump over to the wrong side. So what have I learned in this mistake in not allowing people to be a part of the process? is that God uses people to help me heal. He uses people to help me heal. He's not going to just send you out on your own and say, you've got to do it by yourself. He actually brings people alongside you who will help you heal, and that is part of the, of the, of the process and the, and, the, and the role of church. My last one this morning, because I've shared quite a bit, it's because I've made so many mistakes, <laughs> but my last one this morning is allowing discouragement. Allowing discouragement to have place in your life, allowing yourself to lose hope or to lose courage or to, or to be uh, disappointed to the point where you start thinking, no one will ever love me anyways. Have you ever, have you ever gone through something difficult and all of a sudden, it doesn't matter who loves you, even, even in your own mind, even your mother has abandoned you at that point. Even she's like, no, 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 you're too much. You, know, you, you, you start to believe this thing that when things go wrong in your life, that, that no one loves me. And you get drastic and you say things like, you know what, even if I died, nobody would care. Nobody would even come to my funeral. I would just just be like a lonely casket. We get so dramatic sometimes because we've allowed disappointment and discouragement to take place in our hearts. And these are lies from the enemy because first and foremost, God cares about you. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, "'Cast all your anxieties, all your burdens, "'all your fears, all your worries,' on Him, on Jesus, because He cares for you. You are cared for. God cares about your life and your journey. And I love Isaiah 61 verse 7 because it says, Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of your shame, instead of your hurt, instead of of what you might feel, God will give you a double portion. At times it feels like I'll never walk properly again. Some of you that have want, have come to church here as a visitor, you are like that pastor has swag. Now I'm actually injured, you know. Like, <laughs> I'm not trying to be a gangster. I'm actually hurt. And at times it's felt like it's felt impossible. I'll go to my physio. I'll sit down and he says, "How does it feel?" I'm like, "It's horrible. It's not getting better." Like, I still feel like I still can't do this. I should have been able to do this by now. I should have been able to strengthen it like this. I shouldn't have been able to to do whatever. But the truth is, it is getting better. And the truth is that at a point in the future, I will run and I will be able to step again and I will be able to play soccer with my boys and, and, and I will be stronger because of the process. I'll actually be stronger than ever before. And I love how God has put this idea of healing into our bodies. Have you ever thought about yourself? I remember actually once thinking about computer games and how unrealistic they are. And I'm like, you get shot in a computer game and you just hide behind a wall and, you, and healing comes to you and you, like, you just recover miraculously. And then I thought to myself, but if you really do get injured, your body does heal itself. Maybe not while you're crouching behind a wall, but, but it does actually have the ability to heal. Have you ever thought about how amazing it is that we heal? That our bodies have the ability from God to recover and restore themselves. It's a phenomenal thing. One of the things they did to help me with my knee is that they took a tendon, they shaved some of the tendon out of my hamstring and, and, and put that into the knee as a scaffold. And over the process of the next 12 months, a new ligament uses that tendon to develop. So 12 months from now, I will have a brand new ligament in the knee. And the part where they actually shaved out the tendon, that grows back as well. Isn't it amazing that even though you can lose something, even though you can feel like something's broken, even like you can feel that it'll never be the same again, it actually will recover and even be better than it was before. It's amazing. So this is what I've learned, the final thing. When I feel like I've given discouragement a place or when I feel like, um, like I've, I've, I've felt like there's no hope, this is what I've learned. The best is yet to come the best is yet to come. In your relationships, in your marriage, in, in your parenting, in your journey, the best is yet to come. If my story can teach you anything, it's that. It's that if we just keep walking with Jesus, if we just keep trusting in Him, that He ultimately will bring restoration. It's sacred and it's close to His heart. Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. This morning, you either believe that or you don't. You either believe that Jesus is enough or you don't. You either believe that your journey, no matter what has happened, that God will work every part of it together for good or you don't. There's no halfway on that. So do you believe this morning that God is restoration for your life, that He's working, that He's involved, that He's healing, and that if you stay on the journey with Him, that you will see a complete restoration and you will discover, like I have, that the best is yet to come in every season. Amen? Amen. I hope that encourages you this morning. Let's go ahead and and pray together.